Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion here to our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you may know him best as a two-time All-American while playing at the University of Georgia. Of course, now we know him as the head coach of the University of Georgia men's tennis team. Welcome back to the program, Coach Manny Diaz. Coach, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. Good to be with you, Alex. Uh-oh, it is always a pleasure to have you. And I feel like we haven't explored your playing career enough. I feel like we don't talk enough about 1970s Manny Diaz, who is just, again, <laughs> racking up victories on the court and, you know, helping build this Georgia program as it is today. And, you know, the reason I bring that up, and I wanted to ask this to so many coaches, because what I've found throughout this exercise is just the passion you all have for the sport. And I'm curious at this point, what is it about the game? What is it about college? tennis that has brought you back all of these years well it you know it gets in your blood it gets mm-hmm. in your system and it's something that you're either passionate uh about or or not mm-hmm. it's um it's a it's a way to learn and uh it's a way to kind of just go through your youthful days um uh enjoying a sport and getting out outdoors or even indoors. Um, and, uh, you know, for others, uh, like myself, uh, I, we saw a call, uh, a calling, um, to, you know, to give back and to help, uh, young athletes, um, 
learn through the sport uh, and be, you know, be uh, learn some great lessons and be passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I, so that's, say, that's, I, that's yeah. what keeps me going. Absolutely. And you see that passion, that fire on the sideline for you, I would say, day in, day out, week in, week out. And, you know, I want to ask that. That said, I have a quick opening tangent for you here. You've seen all the best teams, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, all of the different eras. Is 98 Stanford still the pinnacle? Is that the team that set the standard for what is possible in, in college tennis? Well, they definitely were an incredible incredible team uh top to bottom you know um, uh, i you know i think that the seventies while i was playing one of my um uh, uh stanford teams um their Chiki won the NCAA singles. Uh, and, you know, so they, they won the national championship back then. It was, a, it was not a team event, but their number six player won the NCAA singles championship. You know, I don't know that you'll ever see something like that again, but that tells you during the 70s and during the 80s and even into the 90s, you know, Dick Gould did such an amazing job just recruiting the very top American players. This was a little bit uh, of a different time. Um, you know, there were uh, very few international players um, uh, in college tennis. Uh, it was mostly Americans, and he just he just uh, completely dominated when it came to attracting the very best uh, American players to Stanford, and, and he did a, a great job, uh, you know, managing – all those egos and all that talent and and molding them into into great uh teams um you know we always wondered what was in the sauce he he was just a master motivator the players loved playing for him and and but yes that 90 98 uh stanford team was uh incredible I just the thought of Alex Kim at five singles, Alex Kim, who goes top 70 in the world, just absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, speaking of guys like that, a name that I saw on leaderboard after leaderboard after leaderboard this year, and it felt like for some reason, everything Cam Norrie accomplished this season, it was he's the first to do it since Michael Pernfors. And just I I feel like that was, again, I feel like players just lost in the history of college tennis that we don't speak about enough as frequently as we should. And I feel like Pern Force is one of those guys. I feel like he really is one of, you know, if you're making your Georgia men's tennis Mount Rushmore, and I won't ask you to do that right now because I know there's a lot of good names, but I feel like he's on it. Oh, absolutely. He's, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, one of the very best, I would say. You know, uh, I've had the um, a pleasure of being on court and coaching you know, a lot of Georgia players since, uh, you know, since I got here in 19, uh, this year is my 40th year uh, of coaching here in Georgia. And, uh, you know, Michael is second to none. Uh, you know, just it's been a, a pleasure seeing two of our players, you know, Michael and John Isner make it into the top 10 in the world ATP tour rankings. Uh, so, uh, you know, Michael was was magic. I mean, I don't know that there's another player that has gone, I believe, 40 and 0 in uh, his career at the NCAA championships. When you put together singles and doubles, um, uh, in the in the team championship, he was money. 
Um, and so, yeah, he was one of the greatest players uh, that I've ever had the pleasure of coaching. Yeah, I would say one of those sneaky best of the 80s when you want to, if you're starting to make the list, and sadly I have made the list, and yeah, that shows you I really need a girlfriend, I know. But, you know, that, that's <laughs> what I'm doing with my free time. But with all of that said, that was a setup to, you know, ask my first question, which you just mentioned. You're now entering your 40th year as a coach at Georgia, but you look at year 39. Obviously, it's the first in your time to involve a global pandemic. How weird was last season? And even before we get into the records, you know, I know the SEC was able to have a full fall, but even then, you know, were you still feeling start of January and just for all season? Did you feel behind the eight ball at all, you know, just from the kickoff? I'll be honest with you. I, I did not. Um, I actually felt energized. I, I you know, I, I felt relieved that we had gotten through the fall playing a semi-normal schedule, you know, while we were limited to only three events, uh, um, I felt like, um, you know, we were sort of on the way, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I guess I wasn't negative enough to think that another big, uh, you know, pandemic swing was going to come and kind of knock us off, uh, again. Uh, so I, I was, I was positive about, about last year. I, I think for me, the year before, you know, when things, you know, uh, early on in the spring, you know, we're, we're, we just beat uh, Ohio State. I believe they were, one, they were one or two in the country at the time. And, uh, you know, we had just beaten them. And then we went to Florida uh, to play the second or second or third weekend of the spring and, uh, and the season being called. That for me was the most traumatic kind of, uh, you know, month or two uh, as you kind of just got home nothing to do in the middle of March. Uh, you know, it's just like you, you, you kind of had to pinch yourself. And, and, uh, and for me, that was, gosh, that was, uh, sort of, you know, depressing. Maybe <laughs> I don't know what the best word for it is. It was uh, one of those things where you kind of, after 39 years, you go like, you know, I thought I'd seen it all, but, um, um, I, I never anything like that. You're probably uh, like, was, I've never had a month of May to myself before. I don't know what to do. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. um, that whole spring was uh, surreal, and uh, it kind of just put everything in perspective. And, you know, we kind of tiptoed into the fall last year. And, um, you know, I was uh, so proud of our leadership uh, at the University of Georgia as well as at the SEC office to to kind of come up with so many uh, protocols and make sure that, you know, we were testing, you know, every week plus, you know, before every competition. And, you know, it was just a, a, a yeoman's kind of effort uh, in so many on so many levels to really allow us to have a fall. And, and we proved that it could be done. And I think that went a long ways to making our uh, spring possible. Mm -hmm. And you talk about, again, proving a fall was possible. I think something we will take from the 2020 fall is what the SEC men did. And if you talk to any SEC men's coach, they'll rave about the hidden duels you all played last fall and just the opportunity that provided for your players. And I'm curious if you think that's a trend we may see emerge more frequently in the college tennis fall. Now, I'm curious if you think those hidden duels are the best way to prepare for the spring duel match season. I, I'm a I'm a big fan, uh, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. I, I love uh, playing them in the fall. I think that it provides uh, 
you know, it provides uh, continuity in the sense that, you know, win or lose, you got to get back up the next day. It provides the young, uh, uh, you know, freshmen and sophomores uh, um, a lot of the sort of the the, the, the scenario of what's going to uh, take uh, take place in the spring, competing all of, uh, you know, with your teammates together. Uh, it, it makes for a little bit more of an emotional, you know, team-like experience. Uh, and I think as far as development, I, I, I think it's it's proven that it's every bit as effective, if, if not as much or, or better. Yeah, and with that in mind, it brings up a topic I've wanted to, you know, I've been asking all these coaches about is, what is the role of the fall? And what should we be doing in the fall? And I'm sure this is something you have thought about quite frequently. But to me, if the point of the fall is to best prepare for the dual match in the spring season, why are we playing individual events? What is the purpose of the All-American? What is the purpose of the regionals, the fall nationals? Because I could see a trend emerge where it's just like, yeah, you know, again, are those really significant? I'll let my guy go, guys go play pro events on their own. We'll sneak in some hidden duels. We'll save our 25 dates. Like, I, I, I could see that as a trend emerging moving forward. I'm curious what you view the role of the fall as, and again, the role of those individual events as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know that I'm in the majority, uh, sure. but uh, I view, um, you know, I, be, I view the fall as a, a developmental period for our kids. Um, you know, you know, I, I almost feel like there are too many tournaments almost. Um, you know, I don't get to, uh, if I allow my kids to go play every single tournament they want to play or every single ITA, you know, the, 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 the one in, in, in Malibu, uh, the fall one, and, you know, all of a sudden, it's almost like we had so many national events that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't get in the gym. We couldn't, we couldn't tweak. We couldn't uh, change. We couldn't, uh, you know, make uh, uh, changes to kids' games. I, I think at some point that winds up biting you uh, in the rear, uh, and uh, it keeps uh, kids from, you know, wanting to uh, make the changes that are necessary for them to get better. So I, I'm, I'm personally, I'm, I'm kind of just a little bit careful as to not to overplay in the fall so that we can make sure we're getting enough individuals with the kids and making, you know, making adjustments, making tweaks to their, you know, to their, you know, technique or to their games, incorporating more things. You know, I remember, you know, when, uh, you know, John Isner was a, a freshman and I said, look, uh, you haven't done this, but uh, I, I think if you want to be the very, very best player, you can be as far as the college, uh, you know, time that he was, you know, you need to, you need to serve him Bali. And, 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 and so, you know, he, he was able to do that because, you know, we, we were practicing more. We were playing less events. Maybe that first fall, uh, those first couple of years was, was important. While you can't really serve him Bali, um, you know, every point in the pros or he doesn't do it. Uh, he is uh, he's more capable to do things like that because, you know, he knows he can. Uh, and so I think that that's just one example where, you know, where uh, we just uh, took the fall and we focused on one area of his game and he was able to be better for it. Mm -hmm. and for the record, doing this series, what I've realized, you can get 49.9% of coaches to agree on anything. You will never hit 50%. Like, you can get pluralities, there will never be majorities. And so, you know, with that in mind, 
it, it, I was talking to Coach Goffey over at South Carolina, a conversation you can all listen to on the Cracked Interviews podcast, and you know he brought up the idea of because he also wanted to stress development, and he is you know his thoughts on the college tennis schedule as currently composed is there just isn't a developmental period because in the fall everyone's doing their own things, everyone's spread out, then you've got the eight hour rule, and then in the spring you're just constantly playing, and it's match after match after match, and. You know, he was he offered the idea of building in a developmental period, building in a one month, two month block where coaches can just lock in on getting their players better. Is that an idea that appeals to you? Is that something college? You know, are there frustrations, I suppose, with the college tennis calendar in terms of how you're able to develop players? Well, yes and no. I mean, but it's up to every coach. I mean, like we don't well, we didn't play a tournament for a month and a half at the beginning of this this fall. So, uh, you know, you can kind of just give in and, um, and, and you know, go with the flow and, and go with what everybody else is doing. Or you can decide to, to, to play, uh, you know, a little bit less and, 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 you know, just have a little bit you know, of a periodization. Um, you know, build up, a, you know, I call it a preseason or whatever it is. Uh, <clears throat> and that was, um, that was important for our, for our, for our student athletes. It also gives you time, you know, when you're in the trenches with your teammates and with your players and they, they, with their coaches and, uh, and, uh, you know, and you kind of just establish, um, you know, your, your, your culture, right. Sure. Uh, and, um, and, uh, what things are going to, uh, you know, be like, and, uh, you know, we do several other exercises and, and, and we bring them together and we allow for that period of time to, to become sort of the glue that's going to hold us together. And so, uh, you know, I agree a hundred percent, but we already choose to do that at the beginning by kind of backing up our tournament calendar. And, and, you know, I, um, you know, I choose to play, you know, four tournaments as opposed to six or seven or, you know, you can choose to play more depending on certain individuals, you know, as they get ready to 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 graduate and they want to play pro tennis. You know, we, we have more you know futures for them and they get to play a little bit more. But our freshmen maybe, um, you know, have have to work on on some things. So, you know, you have to individualize your program as well. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about all those individuals. My last rule-based question for you, uh, obviously we're now nearing that eight-hour rule time. You guys may already be there at Georgia, and, you know, I brought up the 25 competitive dates, and, you know, at a program like Georgia, at so many of these programs nowadays, and we talk about college tennis as a pathway to the pros all the time, there are players on campus who have pro aspirations and look you know the modern demands of tennis the physicality it takes to succeed at the highest level with all of that said is it time to reconsider the eight hour rule the 25 competitive dates are those reflective of the physical demands it takes to succeed at the highest levels of tennis nowadays i mean <laughs> in an ideal <laughs> world i do away with that eight hour rule but i don't think we uh have a whole lot of say on 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 that right now, and I don't know that we have the power to change it. I mean, the NCAA uh, may fall, you know, by the wayside in, in the next year or two or whatever. I, you know, it, things are moving so quickly, but uh, you know, it is what we have right now. Obviously, I, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to get a few more, you know, weeks. Um, you know, uh, I don't, you know, I, I get the fact that you know the week before the end, the, the, the final exams, you know, you. You don't you don't have workouts or you don't have anything uh, that you can force your guys to do, and they got they got to 
you know, focus on their exams and their academics. But, you know, I'd love to see uh, us go a little bit longer uh, before we go into the eight hour rule or, um, you know, or do away with it completely, obviously. Uh, uh, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know where all this comes from. Obviously, there's a whole lot of athletes other than in tennis. Uh, I'm use, just using my team, for example. They want us. You know, when we tell them we, we you know, we can't, we can't, uh, you know, work you out the first, uh, the, the first, you know, going into final exams, which, you know, for us are right around now, uh, you know, we said we can't, you know, we can't do anything with you guys. And the first thing they do, well, w w what if it's voluntary? You know, <laughs> every, all the, all our kids w want to continue to work. I'm not saying, you know, five hours a day or whatever, if they're going into exams, but they do have, um, you know, they do have some time in their schedule that they would like to get out and, and continue to build on their, you know, their their fall. Uh, but we but we can. So, um, uh, you know, I don't hear our our guys, you know, want to practice less or I don't hear them, you know, and if they ask for an extra day off here and there, you know, that's something that we we definitely tried to accommodate. Um but uh, yeah, it, you know, this must be some other sport that's, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's giving the feedback that the NCAA then decides to, you know, give them a second day off every week or, uh, you know, limit the number of hours that we're practicing. I don't feel like we over practice in, in, in our sport. Yeah, the reason I bring it up and again, hopefully if enough coaches say it, we can put a little document together and just say, listen to all of these anecdotes. Are you in a position where players will come to you? And it sounds like the answer is yes. And say, Manny, can you come work with me on my forehand? And you just have to say, well, you've hit your four hours this week. So no, I can't. Yeah, no, that happens all the time. Uh, and uh, it's disappointing for yeah. them that they are hamstrung the way they are. So um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's something that, uh, you know, we try to maximize. We try to, you know, obviously, uh, you know, um, keep uh, keep track of, of obviously what we do. But uh, that's that's a that's a current theme. Yeah. No, again, if I can do anything for you, coaches, it's to get that rule bumped up a little bit moving forward. So that is my promise to you, coach. But with that said, uh, let's talk about some of the guys and their performances last season. And I want to start at the top of the lineup because, again, you look on paper for Trent Bride, 10 and 12 in dual matches, 15 and 15 overall. I know that's not the standard he holds himself to. That said, look, I mean, Trent's still really, really young. You know, he, he hasn't had a full, it were what, one full season of college tennis entering his fourth year now at Athens. That's obviously not the sort of experience you normally get in your four years. I'm curious what growth you saw from him last year, what allowed him, you know, again, you take losses like that, it's easy to get beaten down. It still felt like he had that energy, that presence at the top of the lineup, you know, to just, again, it felt like he was that spiritual bump for your guys. No doubt. Uh, I think Trent has uh, is one of our hardest workers, uh, a great kid, um, and he set uh, the tempo for us last year. I mean, as far as a number of individual lessons and and, you know, he, he's a kid that kind of gets up at five o'clock in the morning, gets in the gym for another additional hour. I mean, he's worked very hard. But again, like you said, uh, he's only had one full season at Georgia, really, uh, prior to last year. And, uh, um you know, when you play number one uh, in the SEC, you know, you're facing, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but something like six out of the top 10 
uh, singles players. Uh, you know, on a, on on a weekly basis, you're facing a huge challenge. And you know, he lost he lost a lot of close three set matches last year. It, in hindsight, you know, maybe I sh I should have made a a, a a change from week to week, give him a little bit more, you know, room to, a, a little more wiggle room, get him a few more wins. Um, but I, I thought, uh, it, it meant a lot to him, uh, to keep him in that position and, uh, allow him to continue to believe in himself. Cause I, I had to express belief in him. Uh, and I, and I, and I, and I do, um, and um, but it is a tremendous challenge in the SEC to play number one. Uh, you know, frankly, um, no, I think uh, your first year at number one, uh, if you go 500 in the SEC at number one as a first year number one player, you've had a good year. Uh, so um, he's, uh, you know, he, he still has a lot of room for growth, and I believe he's going to have a great year for us. So, um, um, you know, I'm, uh, I know that his record needs to be better, but uh, I'm very pleased with the work he's putting in and his development. That's the scary part, I think, when you look at your team towards 2022, because let's say there is that Trent Bride jump, and I agree with you. I think all signs are pointing to we're going to get a big year from him. You look at the bottom of the roster, or I should say the meat and potatoes of the roster last season. You guys are, <clears throat> excuse me. 16 and 5 at three singles. That's a 76% win percentage. And, you know, 15 and 8 at four, 14 and 5 at six. And obviously, you know, some combination of Billy, you know, Billy's nine and four at the position. He has a super successful year there. Talk to me about that depth you saw last season, how valuable that depth was to, you know, again, providing multiple pathways to four points for your guys. Yeah, for us, uh, I, I felt like we were uh, we were very solid in doubles, and so you know, then you're looking for three or four singles. Uh, you know, our um, you know our depth, and we call it. Uh, I'm not sure you're familiar with it, but we call our bottom three singles spots. We 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 call them the pit because uh, <laughs> those lower courts are are you know we take a great deal of pride in 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 our depth uh, year to year uh and um and they were extremely solid for us that's where you know that's where we've won we've clinched national championships uh, out of the six national championships ncaa championships we've clinched i think five of them uh at uh either number four or five positions so uh we take a great great deal of pride in in that and the fact that we don't drop a whole lot uh level wise and our players can challenge each other on a daily basis and our number six player can beat our number one player, you know, in practice or in a practice match. And, and, and we challenge these guys on every day on an everyday basis to, to do that. So, um, yeah, we were extremely, uh, deep and uh, Billy Rowe was a great addition and he just came in and, um, just, just, um, you know, adjusted to our, you know, to a change in team culture, uh, and was a huge part uh, uh, to our success uh, in our, you know, in what we did last year. I feel like Billy Rowe belongs in the pit, always. Yeah. That's a good place for Billy Rowe to be. And so, yeah. no, again, you look at that depth, and I, looking at your roster this year, it's fascinating. I think you have the youngest old roster I've ever yes. seen. And yeah, and what yeah. I mean by that, like, it doesn't feel like a Kreuter or a Gravilius right. or a Henning have been along that long, and yet, 
They're yeah. upperclassmen now. And, you know, I do yeah. want to turn to a guy like Phil Henning, who has been so sensational throughout his career at Georgia. And it does feel like now, again, technically he's a senior. Technically it's his fourth yeah. year. As you look, because we know Trent's going to be at the top of the lineup, but then it, it just feels like all these guys, you could fill in two, three, four, five, six, and maybe you're, you know, there's a look on your face that says, well, maybe Trent won't be at the top of the lineup, Alex. So we'll leave a cloud of mystery right. there. But when I look at the roster, it feels like Phil's a guy ready, whether it's the Davis Cup success, the pro success, whatever it may be, to make a jump to the top. I mean, he is a senior now. In the narrative arc, that's where, you know, it feels like he could be. What have you seen from Phil this fall? And I, again, with the senior next to his name, has he taken on an additional leadership role? You know, we have every bit of confidence that he could man that top spot if uh, called upon to do so. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think that um, at, in some ways he hasn't gotten the recognition maybe he deserves. Uh, he, um, to be honest with you, had to deal with minor injury all through the season last year, or we may have already seen uh, Philip at the top of the lineup. Um, so, um, you know, I'm really happy. Just a, a, a wonderful, hardworking kid. He will leave it all on the court. He's, you know, he's got a huge upside, and, uh, you know, maybe this is his year. Yeah. And do you tell him, like, okay, the hair at the shoulders is fine any longer? You got to cut it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you're a clean cut man. I know you, Coach Diaz. You're like, I need a shave out of you and I need some sort of semblance of modern day hair. But, you know, again, I talk about that divide in the roster. And I'm looking now, and I don't think there's a single sophomore on your squad. And obviously, you've got a big group of seniors who all came in together Bride, Kreuter, Henning, and Britton Johnston. And you bring in some transfers as well. But then, you know, you, you've got a really nice freshman class. And I'm curious how you've bridged those two things this fall, what you've seen, you know, from the seniors as, you know, it's one thing to have a one year gap, two year gap, but that four year gap can get big. What have you seen from your team as they come together this fall? Uh, a tremendous hunger from our young players. Um, you know, we have Thomas Paulsell who came and redshirted last spring. Um, you know, he's made a big jump in his game uh, this fall, I believe. Uh, Miguel uh, Paris Pena from Spain is a, another wonderful kid we have uh, from Spain. Uh, Matisse Debru is also a French kid that came uh, as a freshman this fall, just uh, just a good group of kids that are very hardworking, have very uh, high ambitions, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. But yes, you're you're right. Um, you know, there is a little bit of a gap there uh, that we need to um, uh, bridge, and uh, and that's that's a challenge for us as a, as we move forward after this year. Mm -hmm. And when I'm looking at you know some of the things you did this fall. 13 different doubles pairings, which, by the way, bravo. That's, that's, a, that's a healthy number. Are you searching for continuity? Are you trying to divide up, you know, seniors, play with freshmen? Let's get them going along. What, what was the strategy this fall? You know, what is your when – you, when you're formulating your doubles plan, is it to find teams that work? Because last year, you know, only three teams played more than three matches together. This year, you've already hit the 13 number. Curious what that strategy was this fall. Um, to, to be honest with you, some of it was, um, you know, was not uh, uh, something I planned on, but I, I, I saw it, it as an important way for us to address certain things that may surface in, in the spring. Um, you know, but honestly, uh, we probably did more than I would have 
uh, if uh, if everybody had been healthy. We had, you know, obviously Philip had the opportunity to go play Davis Cup. We had to come up with different combinations because of that. Uh, you know, we had Tristan and and uh, and Trent out for about a month uh, with with an injury. Uh, so we had to, you know, we had to keep going. Uh, and we had to create different. I think that will serve us well in the spring, uh, you know, if we need to uh, have some changes or, you know, because of injury or or because of whatever, you know, COVID, it could, you know, come to play. I, I, I don't know. But uh, I think this is going to serve us well uh, long term. Mm -hmm. And you talked about that doubles point being so critical for your team last season. And, you know, I was at the North Carolina-Georgia match in the NCAA round of 16, and it feels like you guys taking that doubles point. I mean, look at the scoreboard. That was the difference uh, in the end. I'm curious, as you've seen the game change, as you've seen technology change in college tennis, do you still stress the serve and volley in doubles the way I know it was emphasized in the 80s, in the early 90s, where first serve, second serve, it doesn't matter, you're coming in. Is that, a, is that strategy conducive to success in the modern era? Um, you know, it depends on uh, who you're talking about, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I would I stress it a lot uh, as a developmental process, right? In the fall, I want to see us uh, serve and volley a lot. I want us to be able to control play uh, in doubles, but you know, you get you get somebody like Philip Hennings staying back on second serve and hitting the ball a million miles an hour. You know, knocking the racket off. You know, volleyers up there. I don't I don't necessarily mind that as much as um, um, I would confess otherwise. But um, you know, you have to play to your strengths. To be honest with you, you gotta you gotta take what you know, what they give you, uh, and, uh, you, you gotta do what's, uh, you know, yeah. What's your strength, uh, in the most important points. And while I don't want to be staying back and having our opponents dictate on a break point, um, you know, I also understand the other side of it as well. I mean, th these guys are hitting the ball so hard off the ground nowadays that it's not like, you know, it used to be when we were playing in the old days and, and you're hitting a forehand, you know, 48 miles an hour <laughs> rather than 115. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, there's a little bit of that that comes to play. Um, and like I said, I, I stress it a little bit more in the um, early goings of a match. And, and we want to set the tempo and we want to have our... You know, we, we want to have matches on our racket, not our opponent's rackets. Uh, so we uh, we want to control we want to control play, but we also understand that uh, there's more one you know more than one way uh, to skin a cat. Yeah, no, I love that. And you know, speaking of that method, you talked about all the freshmen you brought in, the success they had. You also had the opportunity to bring in you know two guys Tristan McCormick from Notre Dame and Hamish Stewart from Tulane who've had a ton of success throughout the course of their college tennis career already and yeah. I'm curious right now and obviously it's more pronounced because we have five classes of high school graduates in college tennis due to the extra year of eligibility because of COVID but I'm curious how you go about balancing these two things in recruiting the idea of a I, I still want to bring in freshmen i still want talent to develop over the course of their four years at georgia versus b knowing hey 
I can go find a five singles. I can go find a six singles player right now if that's what I want to do on the transfer portal. How do you balance those two things in shaping your roster? Um, you know, it's 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 a curveball, right? That has been uh, pitched at you, kind of thing. Um, you know, we still have what one more year of this COVID extra, you know, fifth year, uh, and it's changed. It's changed uh, the way we need to look at things. Uh, that's the way I look at it. Um, uh, I obviously, in an ideal world, would love to have five or four years with a freshman. Uh, rather than uh, having somebody for one year. But, you know, you know, with Billy Rowe, with Hamish Stewart, and with Tristan McCormick, McCormick we, we couldn't have gotten luckier <laughs> if you, you know, um, with the kind of character and the kind of guys, these, these uh, uh, the kids, uh, you know, just, uh, just tremendous, tremendous people. They have come in and uh, just assimilated into our culture and, and added to it, to be honest with you, um, I, I see a tremendous leadership from from them. So as long as you're, you know, you're you're picking them right, uh, you know, I, I have had a great experience. It, it has been great for our team uh, and for our young players. Um, you know, with with uh, no seniors last year in our squad, I thought Billy Rowe played an exceptional role. He was a little bit, you know, more mature. He, he, you know, he, he, he was a tremendous addition. And I think this year with Hamish and Tristan, um, you know, uh, it's been the same. Um, but yeah, the other side of your question, the portal, that's, uh, that's not uh, the way this is changing, not only tennis, but every other sport is, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure uh, that is, the that was the best route to go although i have always always released anybody that wants to transfer and i've only had a couple uh i i, I don't think we should stand in the way it kind of just it makes it almost too easy for people to kind of just change seats and uh uh i'm not sure it's 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 what's the best uh answer to someone's struggles sure. uh, and, and i do i don't mean to cut you off but i want to expand on that because i think that's fascinating and I, I would love to hear your opinion on this i do think big picture long term it's very good that transferring has been destigmatized and what i mean by that is no longer if someone transfers do you think it's a bum player it's a bum coach it's a bum program that you know sometimes we have learned fits just it's the wrong fit that said to your point is it a bailout clause? Like it's the it's the eject button, right? You players now have eject buttons, and do you? It sounds like you worry that because of that, they're not going to get to go through the normal amounts of adversity that shape human beings who they are. Yeah, that's my point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, yet I don't want to minimize the fact that you know athletes when they find themselves in a situation, um, you know, of of that type, uh, you know, should should have the option. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying they shouldn't. Um, I just think it's almost too easy. Uh, and, um, and they don't get to see things through and come out the other side, uh, in a positive way. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't think it sends the right message. If, if that, that may be too simplistic, but 
No, uh, I, I think that's completely fair. And, you know, again, I, I do think that's something for us to monitor. It certainly was an unintended consequence. Is now it's so heightened because we extended everyone that extra year of eligibility. And in the moment, that felt so good. It's like these seniors are robbed. And now you look at it, and it's like, oh, maybe we didn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, of course, with that said, getting back to your team and last two questions for you here. But you look for you guys. You're back in the kickoff weekend again this season. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's got to be a relief just to be competing there once again. And you guys are hosting South Florida, Virginia Tech, VCU, I know. Uh, you guys have, tri- you know, Wake Forest on the cards, NC State in the cards, a trip down, I believe, to UCF before the kickoff weekend as well. How excited are you to get to play that full schedule again? And what does that schedule look like for the Bulldogs? Yes, and we have on top of that, we have Texas uh, here at home as well. Um, so, you know, we're super excited. I mean, our schedule is as, challenges, uh, as challenging as it could be. Uh, it can be. Um, you know, and that's what these kids want. Um, that's what they strive for. That's what they want to uh, be in these big matches. And I think it prepares them for you know for uh you know big tournament in may we have uh, i'm not sure if you heard about it <laughs> uh, once or twice we may have yeah and i'm still waiting for it to be in athens because i'm waiting for my excuse to head down there i'm yeah. like i need to see the yeah. new mcgill center this is it's go. on it's on my short list uh, i need to see the pit um oh, well. but yeah with, as you say with all of that said uh again just some fun questions for you here down the home stretch some some are going to get a little funky i think if you're going to swear at me now it's going to be the time just be like, that's ridiculous um but first i suppose recruiting wise do you think nil plays a role in recruiting moving forward how does nil rules name image likeness obviously for our listeners impact tennis moving forward um you know, I, I think we have one or two kids that, that, that are sort of dabbling in it. Uh, in it. Uh, you know, I think that where it can get a little bit dicey is that, uh, you know, uh, there is talk that there are some uh, programs uh, offering NIL deals that, uh, you know, that shouldn't be happening. Uh, and I think that uh, it's going it, to, you know, that needs to be monitored uh, even more and make sure that, uh, you know, no rules are being broken or enticing players you know, I'm not making accusations. I'm just saying that that is one thing, one more thing that we have to now monitor um, and make sure that it remains a, a level playing field. I'm not really that much into all of this new stuff uh, when it comes to social media and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I kind of dabble in it a little bit uh, because we have to. But um, I think that's that's one more thing we have to deal with, to be honest with you. And that's you know that's maybe not the right way to think about it, but uh, you know I don't I don't want to I don't want to learn how to navigate one more app or one more whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I, I, out. I really liked Miami's buyout of your contract. I thought that was really good for Manny. I was like, <laughs> yeah. all right, he's good, he's settled, he's got his millions, uh, he's ready to roll. And so, um, I no, I, Manny Diaz is a great coach. Manny Diaz, you are a great Twitter follow. Uh, so I, I think you're excellent at it. I think you've got another app in you. Um, but no, with all of that said, again, I, I want to talk about the college tennis format as well. And obviously you've seen it go, go from two out of three sets in doubles to a pro set in doubles. Now we're playing no ad scoring. Has the no ad scoring grown on you? No, I was, you know, <laughs> to be honest with you, I was one of the biggest proponents of no ad. And I do think it adds, it adds uh, at the time, because I, I played it when I was in, in college. My my last three years, I think we played no ad. Um, and, you know, uh, I think it adds, 
it adds a level of excitement and heightened, you know, a number of points. And but uh, you know, especially um, now that we're just playing one set of doubles, I don't know that it really makes that big a difference time-wise. Uh, you know, we have kind of just served us uh, in the doubles as an appetizer. It's quick. I mean, how much shorter can it get? Um, uh, and, uh, and so, you know, the fact that we're just playing a set, you know, uh, now with the no let rule and the no add, uh, you know, how much uh, more juggling or kind of luck comes into play? Uh, I, uh, I, I, I kind of personally, and I'm just going to say it because <laughs> I think it, and, uh, I, I'd like to see us go back to Dusad. Yeah, there, I said it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And the thing, this gets me to the larger picture. How about in lieu of that, what if we just flipped back and played singles first and went to the doubles second? And the reason I bring this up is I think the 40 minutes of the doubles point are the most exciting aspect of all tennis. I don't care if it's a Grand Slam final. I don't care whatever it may be. It's a 40-minute Russian roulette rat race. I do think the 10-minute lull that comes after the doubles point and, in reality, the hour lull through first sets that don't really matter, you know, that's where you lose fans. That's where you lose engagement. But the idea of the rat race being at the end, like, let's say you even make every double set worth one point. So it's like, hey, it's 4-2 going into doubles. It's winner take all. I don't know how a fan leaves at that point because that's as good as it gets. Yeah, nobody's going to leave for sure. Yeah, uh, and and I do see uh, your point, and we've, I, I'm, I, you know, I enjoyed, uh, and I enjoyed doubles as much as anything, um, but what happened was, uh, unless we value each doubles point, uh, each doubles match for one point, uh, what we were doing was playing singles and then walking away. And so doubles wasn't being played. And that's that's one of the reasons we started with we we changed and we started with doubles. Uh, and you know it was a pro set, and by that you know we felt like we had abbreviated it enough. And but I I do believe that um, you know the set is a sprint. It's it's an appetizer. Uh, I do agree with you that. That first 45 minutes of singles is kind of like a lull that kind of builds. And um, I don't know what the answer is other than um, I feel like it, to, to value each doubles match one point is probably too much, as much as I love doubles. Sure. Um, uh, but I'm open to it. I'm open what, to it. What about simultaneous start? I'm sure, again, I'm not the first to propose this. Four singles, yeah. one doubles. You don't love that? I don't like that. I don't <laughs> like that. Because I'd like to see, I, for the sake of the kids, the kids want to mm -hmm. play both. The kids want to play both. But I, 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 I'm, I'm all ears. I, I do understand that the product that, that we're putting on the table is is the most important. We need to come up with the product that, you know, that, that gets us on TV more often. And I, I, I think that that's, that's the elephant in the room that, you know, the fact that we need 10 cameras as opposed to two or three or one for, you know, softball, uh, you know, is, is on TV every week, you know, maybe twice a week, volley, you know, like that is that we got to figure a way to come up 
uh, with a way to get on TV more often. And and I think that the cost of production is, if I may say so, I think is the biggest challenge we have. Um, yeah, it would be great to have you know one feature match and that you know that's it. But the essence of college tennis is having six singles, and that is you know that's 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 the best thing about our sport, and that's the most difficult challenge uh, we have to our sport uh, as far as getting on TV. Um, so I don't know how we bridge that. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what I think about all day. Don't worry, Coach. That's sort of the, <laughs> the idea that we did it last. I mean, such a shameless plug here. But I agree with you. And it's like I think the broadcast, when you can go, all right, we've got a break point on one. Done. All right, let's go over to six now where it's love 40 all the way. That's a TV product in itself. Yes. I agree with you. And it's finding a way to do that more frequently. And listeners, stay tuned because we've got some ideas here at Crack Rackets. Yeah. But last two funky ones for you. Substitutions. So the idea of, hey, on my roster, I've got my closer, right? I've got my guy 5-4 up or maybe 4-5 down who's going to – I know he's going to break serve. I know he's going to hold serve there. And I just think from a fan standpoint, imagine on the McGill screen, you get the music going. The lights are flashing, all these different things. And you bring in the closer to finish the match. I think fans would love a substitution, Coach. Your face indicates that you would not. No, on the contrary, like you know, I, we thought about this forever, uh, yeah. for years upon years. Um, but um, you know, as a way, you know, you get a kid with a bad attitude. I would love. I mean, you know how much, how many times I've wished I was a basketball coach to be able to <laughs> yank somebody off the court, get over there in the last seat in my bench. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wish I had that type of. Uh, you know uh, the ability to do that that type of power during the during a uh, a match for whatever reasons uh and yes having a closer it's uh it's something that you know bill veck uh, the old chicago white Sox, uh, you know like that that's something that he would come up with um but that's world team tennis that's not you know, if we aim to be a, a, a you know, a stepping stone, uh, a, a, you know, and, and a part of, you know, player development when it when it comes to, you know, just trying to give these kids the best opportunity to live out our dream, their dream. I don't think that's something you consider. Fair. Last one for you, though. And if, of all the rule changes I suggest, I actually think this is the one I could hit 50 percent on one 90 second timeout. For every coach. So you know those 15-minute, 25-minute stretches where your head's in your hands and you're just like, Jamie, we did not coach well today. We lost the guys. You, If I give you one 90-second timeout where I just – at any point in the match, you can call it. You're bringing all the guys in. Quick talk. Let's roll. Would you take it? <laughs> um, if you do away with the 10-minute bathroom exactly. break. So that's the compromise, right? It's no more bathroom breaks. We're not messing around there. We're coding you. But your coach has a 90-second timeout in the queue. Yeah. Well, you know, that actually happened. Uh, I heard about it. I didn't see it. But I heard uh, uh, Chuck Creasy when he was at close in the middle of a match, timeout, and he gathered all six courts and and the opposite coach I, I don't know who they were playing went like what are you doing and he looks and his basketball does it so i'm doing it and he just did it he just did it um you know i don't know i'd have to think through that one alex um 
I like, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, on, on a certain moment, when do you stop a match? I mean, you know, you could be at break point, you could be at match point on one court and use it. It's just too much, uh, you know, too much uh, potential uh, you know, hocus pocus going on. I just say to quote George W., too much strategery. I agree. There you That'd go. Be, there that you that go. would be the fun there. Um, yeah. But all right. Uh, yeah. And it would just be, del- I just would love to see the strategic. I mean, this is for me. The other one would be let's get rid of coin tosses. One point head coach versus head coach. Winner decides the serving arrangements. And like, I'm all in on that because I think there'd be some great points go. out there. But my last question to you, and this is the reason I had you on the show today, and I think this might be the most important thing I ask you. Would my Wolverines pop your Bulldogs down in Miami? Are you still going to speak to me? I will. Yeah, but what, what are we? What are? Oh, we're not supposed to bet, are we? Um, <laughs> well, I think in this. I'm in Indianapolis. It's legal here, so we're allowed oh, to. Okay. Yeah, but a friendly wager. We'll put. I don't know oh. some sort of gear. I'll do a week's shows oh. of gear in Georgia gear. If not, you got to throw on a Michigan hat real quick. Ooh, for how long? Yeah, well, I'll just see a photo of you posting a Michigan hat. <laughs> okay. There it is. Uh, uh, we're in. All right, perfect. I love that. Well, again, Coach Diaz, it is always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you. Ooh, I, I have to ask my update as always. How is the Hunt family? Are we up to 12 kids? Where are we at? Oh, my gosh. No, no, no. He's he's uh, he's very busy at the moment. He's got five, four kids under five and a half, I believe it is. He's doing awesome. He, he's got a great attitude, and he's uh, – He's working hard on both ends. Yeah, no, it's Jamie's. I mean, look at the recruiting. I've seen the names. They keep popping up. You guys are killing it. And so, obviously, Coach, it is always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you. Hope you and the guys stay safe, stay healthy, enjoy the holiday season. And, of course, we look forward to seeing you all compete in 2022. We're looking forward to it. Good talking to you. Yeah, always a pleasure, Coach Diaz. Be safe, be healthy. All right, take care, Alex.